one of the ancient preachers used to say, Lord, that we might see Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, that's our prayer this morning as we come out of this song together from our hearts, um, the fruit of our lips, praise offered to you that we recognize you are our only Lord. You are the true Lord and Savior, the creator of the universe. Everything is held together by you. And so, Father, we've gathered this morning to praise the Lord Jesus Christ and to lift up his name, to exalt him, to recognize his glory and his rightful place in the universe as Lord and Master. And I pray this morning, Father, particularly as we consider this text that shines the light on the magnificence of Jesus Christ, who is above all. I pray, O oh Lord, that you would help us to allow our hearts to be reorientated in preparation for the year that you have ahead of us and the things that you have before us, that we might trust in the Lord with all of our hearts and lean not on our own understanding. In all of our ways, may we acknowledge him and allow the Lord God to direct our paths. I pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Well, this is the first Sunday that we've we're coming back to the Gospel of Mark. If you remember, we signed off of Mark, I think, in August. And uh, through last end of last spring and through the summer, we covered the first eight chapters of this amazing Gospel. If you weren't here with us or you want to catch up, they're still online. You can catch up with those sermons. And so we find ourselves today at Mark chapter 9. We're halfway through, and uh, we'll, Lord willing, be working our way slowly through the rest of that gospel uh, through to the end of April or so, or 1st of May. Uh, there's so much powerful good news in the gospel of Mark. It's, um, I've entitled it the, the Good News for Stressful Times, or the Gospel for Stressful Times. And the reason that I've done that is because uh, Mark was written primarily to an audience in Rome, uh, Christians, early Christians who were suffering severe persecution and were wondering a lot about Jesus and their faith and Christianity and was it worth it and is it right and is it true and is Jesus who he says he is and especially in, in troubling times, uh, our faith takes, takes on... Um, a lot of pressure. And, uh, and so this, this book is very helpful. This, good, this is the good news in stressful times. And in the particular section we're on today, um, Jesus has taken the disciples to Caesarea Philippi, and there he's asked the question of them, who do people say I am? And if you know, you remember that Peter makes the bold and correct statement, you're the Christ, you're the Messiah, the Son of the living God, 
It was an amazing statement that was made, and Jesus, of course, said to him, you didn't come up with this on your own. Obviously, the Father gave you this. And, uh, and then Jesus proceeds to tell them that, that he's going to be handed over to those who hate him. He would be killed and would rise again. And you remember Peter said to him, started arguing with him, no, no, this can't be, this, there's no way, this, this, is not, this is not what I had in mind for Messiah. I mean, Peter was coming from an Old Testament context, in particular, an Old Testament teaching context that had been selective in its teaching about Messiah would bring in the glory. This, that, no, this is going to be the, the, the Messiah happy days. This is going to be glory. This is not, no, this isn't going to happen. And then Jesus gives that famous line to him, get behind me, Satan, for you do not have in, in your mind the things of God, but the, the, the things of man. And then Jesus hands down on top of this statement, he sort of burdens them with the cost of discipleship when he says to them that if you want to be my disciple... It's not going to be messianic happy days. It's going to be deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. What? That's not what I signed up for. That's not what we thought Messiah was going to do. We, we thought Messiah was going to mean lots of Romans screaming and running and, 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 and getting out of our lives. So it seems that in the Father's good timing, it was the right thing to do was to take three key disciples and uh, take them up on another mountain and uh, work on their understanding of who Messiah really is and what they should expect. See, one of the, there's two dangers that happen in our lives when trouble arrives. One, we can lose hope. That's a pretty common one. The second is we can become astonished, and, and there's a great, uh, great multitude of Christianity that has in mind that there shouldn't be trouble, there shouldn't be pain, there shouldn't be sickness when you come to Jesus. It should be glory now. And so there's this approach of denial that, no, that's not the way it is. And if you have real faith, you're not going to be sick. You're not going to face trouble. You're not going to face distress. Takes faith virtually to the breaking point. Neither of those things are helpful. <laughs> Giving up. Or thinking it's all glory now and being shocked when it isn't. It's a good illustration that will be helpful because it's kind of football season, at least for the guys this morning. Anybody remember Super Bowl 27? It illustrates this point very well. Kenny, you remember Super Bowl 27? You're the only guy so far in, in the Sunday services. It was a memorable Super Bowl. January 31st, 1993, in case you don't know what Super Bowl 27 was. It was a game between the then-powerful Buffalo Bills, who were now representing themselves in the third straight Super Bowl of four straight Super Bowl appearances, never to win, of course, and up against the Dallas Cowboys. 
There's a man in that particular Super Bowl whose name became famous for two things. One, he lost his team the Thanksgiving game that year against Miami. And two, he missed out on his only chance to score a touchdown in a Super Bowl game. His name, Leon Lett, if that matters. He's also part, become, I'm sure, a sermon illustration for many, many sermons. The situation is this. Frank Reich was the QB for the Buffalo Bills, having taken over the helm because Jim Kelly was injured. Frank Reich dropped back for a pass. Leon Lett was the Dallas Cowboy interior defensive lineman. The ball was stripped from Reich, fell on the ground. Leon Lett picked up the ball and began to ram ramble. Here's a defensive lineman rambling to the goal line 63 yards away. He ran for 62 and a half yards well. You watch it. Celebration and warm. I'll give you the rest of it after this play. Fourth down and six. And right. Fumbles. Picked up by Leon Lett. Can he go Look all the way? Watch. It's watch. a 60 yard Watch run. now. Watch. He's watch. Being chased by yes. Baby. Yes. What's no. It? Did he get across? The ball is taken no, from him. Leon Lett represents the disciples of the day. They were assuming that the glory that Messiah was bringing was going to be easy, just a can of corn, just run down the field, showboat at the end, and cross the finish line. Don Beebe, speedy, speedy wide receiver of Buffalo Bills, is an example of those who never give up hope and kept running and running and running and stripped him of the ball and he didn't get his touchdown. In the wisdom of the Father, he hauls three disciples up into the Mount of Transfiguration in Mark chapter 9 and teaches them a lesson that they might never forget. That it's not going to be an easy walk to the finish line, showboating to the end, but they had to tuck the ball in and run it all the way down the field. Watch with me in Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and enveloped them, and a voice came from the cloud, This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain... Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. And they asked him, why do the teachers of the law say Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, to be sure, Elijah does come first and restores all things. 
Why then is it written that the Son of Man must suffer much and be rejected? But I tell you, Elijah has come, and they have done to him everything they wished, just as it is written about him. This is the word of the Lord. This event that takes place is for disciples of all ages, of all time. In particular, it was for three key disciples who he took to the mountain after he had shared with them the cost of discipleship. And clearly, they needed a a time with Jesus to understand truly what Messiah, who Messiah, what that meant. And so in this particular setting, knowing full well the crucifixion is just about to occur. In fact, we're near the last week. We're near the Passion Week. There's one more week left of Jesus' life here, ministry on earth. And then a little further in the horizon, of course, there is all the things that Jesus knows that are going to come against the disciples. And so he brings them to this mountain, and, he, and there this amazing event occurs. Never before did it happen, and never since has it happened, called the transfiguration. We'll look a little bit carefully, more carefully about what that was. But in particular, this event was for the purpose of stealing their convictions on who Jesus was and that his teaching was to be embraced fully by them. The family of Jesus must learn not to jump the gun on glory now, believing that's what Messiah means, nor to give up hope when trouble and distress comes our way. So if you're still above the ground... And you look like you all are. You haven't reached the glory line yet. All right? Particularly important here. I want to share four conviction building sight lines for stressful times from this particular event in Jesus' life. And the first is this. To receive God's help in trying times. Allegiance to Jesus must be exclusive and absolute. This is one of the great um, revelations of Jesus Christ in all of the scriptures. Chosen were Peter, John, and James. Selected particularly. We're not certain why Jesus only took three disciples with him to the Mount of Transfiguration, but we do know that these three individuals were key in the in the uh, formation and advancement of the early church. We also know that Peter had made that amazing confession of who Jesus was. Surely that played into why, and and of course, had had rejected or or resisted the teaching that Jesus was going to die. Surely that, that, that played into why Peter was also picked to come with him. We also know that these three key disciples were uh, chosen by Jesus to pray with him in this hour of distress in Gethsemane. They didn't do a very good job of that, and we all know that. But here we have uh, this uh, trio of disciples taken, it says, up on a high mountain. And it says there, after six days. Now, to us, this is no big deal. We read over that. You probably read over that with me this morning, or maybe you read over that this week after six days, Jesus took Peter, and you're like, okay, so six days, big deal. But that's not how it would be read or how it should be read to an audience familiar 
with these kinds of events in the Old Testament. Uh, going up in a mountain was always a big deal in the Old Testament. Remember uh, Moses? And, and, and added to the drama here, you've got Elijah and Moses show up. When Elijah and Moses were on mountains, there were God things happening. So, and, and to, to add to the drama here, uh, Mark says after six days, Mark rarely, if ever, mentions specific numbers or days. In fact, he only does it one other time in Mark 14, verse 1. So this is unusual. When you're reading the Gospel of Mark, you're like, hey, Mark, you don't do that. What's with the after six days? In fact, this is supposed to be like a, like a, a, a Kmart uh, alarm uh, that, that, well, I guess I'm dating myself. Anybody been to a Kmart? Most of the millennials in here are saying, what are you even talking about? Uh, well, let's say... Um, Co well, not Costco. We could do Costco. You know, they, they got an alarm, uh, a red light sale, you know, and you walk into the store and you're like, hey, I got to go over there and look at this. There's something big going on over there. This, this six days is like a, a red light flashing in the text. Stop here. Stop. Don't go any farther. Look at this. This is going to help you to understand what this means. This is a... Is, 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 um, a, a a fulfillment of a preview of the kinds of things that happen in the Old Testament. In particular, you've got Moses, six days, and a mountain. Where in the world did that ever happen? Well, how about Exodus 24? Exodus 24 and uh, verses 5 and 16. When Moses went up on the mountain, the cloud covered it. We're going to see a cloud in a moment, too. And the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai for six days. There it is. The cloud covered the mountain, and on the seventh day, the Lord called to Moses from within the cloud. To the Israelites, the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire on top of the mountain. And this was the, the call of Moses. This is literally the time when Moses was called by God and, and uh, endorsed by the Father in heaven, endorsed by God as his de facto king over Israel and uh, the spokesperson for God's word, the, the one who would bring the law of God. And this was a moment where Moses was in the presence of the glory of God, six days. And here Mark is talking here, six days, mountain, a cloud appears and, and, and envelops them, verse 7. And, and to, the New Test or to the Old Testament scholar, and we who are also Old Testament scholars here this morning, we look at that and we say, wow, this is a big deal event. At, at, this is what we call actually in theology typology. It's where God's previous redemptive acts prefigure his later events. It helps us to understand what's really going on here. What God did in the past and what the message of what God was doing in the past helps us to understand what is the message that is being brought to us by Jesus being on this mountain with his disciples. We're about to see unpackaged for us here in verse 2 and verse 3 exactly what's going on. But, but literally what's happening here is Jesus is replacing Moses in God's redemptive plan, and the Jews are being asked 
to transfer allegiance. The Jews then and the Jews today. The Jews today need to go to this text, pour through this text, realize the linkage it has with the Old Testament, and understand the message of the living God of the universe who is saying to people of all time, this is the one who's now enthroned as king. This is the one who will be my spokesperson. Peter uh, fully understood it by the time he wrote his epistle in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 and on. He writes this, We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Peter says, I'm not talking to you about legends. I'm not handing you, we're not, when we talk to you about Jesus Christ, we're not handing down to you superstitions or legends or, or stories that were passed on to us second and third or fourth hand. I'm talking to you about something I saw with my very own eyes. I was on the Mount of Transfiguration. I saw the glory of Jesus Christ with my own eyes. And he goes on to say, For he received honor and glory from God the Father. At that place, when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son whom I love, and with him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. This steeled the faith of Peter as he stood on that mountain on that day. The fulfillment of, the, of Jesus' promise in verse 1, he said, I tell you the truth, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God come with power. Six days later, they were eyewitnesses to that very promise that Jesus made to them. So that is the explanation of this event, but who is this person? In verse 2, at the end of verse 2 and verse 3, we see something happen here that we've never heard before or understood or, or it's brand new in terms of, uh, of as Jesus presented himself to his disciples. To live victoriously in stressful times is going to require convictions concerning Jesus to be rock solid in your life. Who is Jesus? Well, Peter called him Christ. Peter called him Messiah six days before. And this day, he's calling him Rabbi all of a sudden, verse 5. He's given him a demotion. It wasn't holding. It wasn't sticking. It's critical that we know as followers of Christ that a superficial or a romantic or a seasonal attraction to Jesus is not going to hold you when times get tough. We have just gone past Christmas season. There's still in this country, there's a decided tolerance for baby Jesus and people getting religious at Christmas and, 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 and having some sort of religious fix during the December 25 corridor and everybody's kind of okay with that and most people are and they kind of get their little fix of Jesus and, and their seasonal attraction to him and hope that everything's going to be fine for the rest of the year and it's not going to be fine. If that's all you have of Jesus, some sort of romantic relationship or some seasonal attraction or a superficial relationship with him, it's not going to hold when times get distressing. 
This is why the disciples were taken up onto this mountain. There were some horrible times ahead of them. James wasn't going to live much longer. Peter was going to be crucified. John was going to be exiled. There, there were lots of hard things ahead of these guys. They needed convictions that would hold. And so do we. And so in this moment, with Elijah and Moses and the three disciples, it says here, there he was transfigured. Transfigured before them. That word transfigured, original language is metamorpho, which means that he morphed from within. He, there, it goes on to explain his clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them, uh, an unearthly white, no white that's ever been seen before. In fact, in Luke, the preposition, that's, uh, the um, uh, participle that's used there is for the same that you use for a lightning flash. His clothes became like a flash of lightning. But this didn't just flash. It was stunningly presented to them. Something they had never seen before in, in, in great splendor. And, and this is a, a, a great, what we call in theology, uh, epistemology lesson by the Father. Uh, and it, it's necessary for all of us. Epistemology meaning epi, on, and histomy, to stand. It answers the question, on what do you stand? Or more particularly here, on who do you stand? Uh, your beliefs on who do they stand? On what do they stand? Are they on solid ground? Are they on solid conviction that's immovable? This is the intention of this moment as, as they stood there watching the son of righteousness as was predicted and prophesied in Isaiah, Malachi, and, and, and in the, the prayer of Zechariah. The son of righteousness has come. The promise of Messiah was that a great light has shone in the darkness. The picture that we get of Christ, the, 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 the living God is uh, the visualness here. The visual of his godness comes through. What has been hidden by his human physical body and clothes on purpose is now being allowed to be shown for who he really is and what he really looks like. It's more a picture of the vision that John has in Revelation chapter 1 of the Messiah with blazing eyes and bronze feet and, 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 and the, the one who's described in Revelation chapter 21 verse 23 as the Lamb who lights all of heaven. There's no need for moon, there's no need for sun, there's no need for stars in heaven ever because the Lamb of God lights the heavens. His splendor was demonstrated before their very eyes. His garments were, were white as lightning, and they were white representing resurrection clothing of the righteous. We will wear white garments. 
Acts 1.10, Revelation 3.4, Revelation 4.4, Revelation 7.9, Revelation 7.13, Revelation 7.14. White garments of heaven, dressed in his heavenly costume of who he really was. That's why John uh, writes in his gospel, the first chapter, um, we beheld his glory. Uh, John comes out of the gate in his good news uh, a, a version in John in the first chapter by saying and the word was with God and the word was God. In the beginning was the word. And he says to them in that very text, I'm not talking about something I heard from someone else. I'm not talking about some legend that I've heard of. We beheld his glory. He could write later on in 1 John 1 that what we have seen, what we have heard, what we have touched with our hands, this we proclaim to you. This was how they were affected by this moment and became uh, the leaders of the movement of Christianity and powerfully moved it forward. And the, the bystanders here, Elijah and Moses, I mean, as Moses is presented as the one who gives the law, the expectation in Deuteronomy 18.15 is that a prophet like him would come and be Messiah. Elijah, of course, was to be the forerunner of the dawning of the messianic age, the dawning of the kingdom in Malachi 4.4.6. And Jesus remains as the fulfillment. The table is now set for the kingdom. It has drawn near as Mark uh, records in Mark 1.15. And they were talking together in Luke 9, 31. It tells us they were talking together. And one writer puts it, it was a Salvation History Summit conference. Because they were talking about his exodus, his departure. They were talking about Calvary. Not some sort of random act by Romans, but pre-planned by the Father in heaven. Discussed now by Elijah and Moses. And here they are. So... The culmination of the law and the prophets, Moses and Elijah, is now brought forward in Christ, who is all in all. Powerful message. So what do you do with a message like that? What do you do with a vision like that? What do you do with an experience like that? Of course, you build three tents. That's what you do. It's the only sensible thing to do. Peter's like, I know what I'm going to do. This most spectacular event ever. I know. I'll build three tents. I'm going to build one for you, Jesus. I'm going to build one for Elijah. I'm going to build one for Moses. It says in the text, he did not know what to say, which means he should have said nothing. There's a little bit of a lesson there. But Peter, it didn't matter whether he didn't know what to say or not. He said something anyway. Because he was so frightened. And in Luke's version and Matthew's version, did not know what he was saying. You remember I said to you, I think I said to you, actually I forgot to say to you, but I'll say it to you now. I always, it's kind of weird doing two sermons because you're like, did I say that or did I? Anyway, I know I forgot to say this. If you aren't functioning by faith, in distressing times, you will be facing them uh, with fear, um, either uh, 
fear or ignorance and, um, or instinct. And, and you can check yourself on this. What's your first reaction to a disturbance or a distress? There are three possibilities. Fear, instinct, or faith. In this moment, Peter is operating under the first two. Fear and instinct. Peter just talks. Peter just does. Peter just acts on his emotions. And in this case, he's about to be taken down a peg again. See, since the third point here, since our fears constantly get in the way of right behavior, and particularly in the way of revelation truth, visions and experiences must give way to the steadfast and immovable word of God. See, the father witnesses this moment. Peter's like, I'm going to build three tents. Which means he's putting Jesus, Elijah, Moses on an equal plane. And God, there's nothing that is left to do but to speak out from heaven. He doesn't say Peter, but he could have. This is my son. You stop right there. This is not a prophet. This is not Moses. This is not like Elijah. This is my son. <laughs> what about the transfiguration, Peter, didn't you get? What about this, this brilliant light from the inside, did you not get? Have you ever seen that happen in Moses? Have you ever seen that happen with Elijah? This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. That is a, that is a powerful statement from the God of heaven, the one true God. Do you understand the... Do you understand, we understand the implications of that statement. That one statement to all the peoples of the world. Jesus is the Son of God, declared and endorsed by the Father in heaven. I love him. Which gives you some sort of insight into what God thinks about people who don't love Jesus. Listen to him. Nobody else. No other prophet, no other religious teacher, no other leader stands anywhere close to him. Listen to him. Peter, you know, you got it right when you said he's the Christ, the Messiah. Then you argued with Jesus about what he said to you about Calvary. I'm telling you again, listen to him. Mic drop. God, if you're ever wondering, is there a place in the Bible where God drops the mic? It's right here. It drops the mic. That's it. Mic drop. Listen to him. It must have been something to be there. The command from heaven is not to look at the vision or even to experience this event. 
but rather to listen to Jesus. And the reason is this, beloved. In times of distress and trouble and persecution, visions and experiences will go away. But the Word of God stands forever. And we're going to see in a few moments that Elijah and Moses disappear off the scene. The experience goes away. The vision goes away. And what's left? Jesus and his disciples. And beloved, that's the way it is for our lives. The visions go away. The experiences go away. But Jesus never goes away. It's you and Jesus all the way to the glory line. That's the message here, the powerful message here. There's a lot of, a lot of, um, a lot of people who are chipping away today, in, even in our Christian movement, in, in the matter of listening to Jesus. What to watch for in 2020, in my mind, the most significant thing for us to watch for is what I'm calling soul infection superbugs. You know, we're all, we're all paranoid about the superbug hitting us because antibiotics won't take care of it, right? Because we build up some, so much of an Im immunity to antibiotics that you're going to get sick and that's it, nothing can help you. That's what's happening in theology right now. There is so much disinformation, so much false teaching that it that we run the risk as believers of swallowing what we're hearing and it immunizes ourselves to the truth and our soul will perish. More voices are pushing for present experience as our moral teacher rather than listening to Jesus. More people are pressing the issues that the scriptures are just a reflection and a description of the morals of their age, but it doesn't apply to the morals of our age. From heaven, I hear God say, pardon? I haven't, I haven't personally heard God rescind this statement and say, you don't need to listen to Jesus anymore in 2020 because Jesus was a man of his age, but he doesn't apply to your age. I haven't heard Jesus. I haven't heard God the Father say that. There are so many biblical illiterates out there who are misquoting and misinterpreting Jesus. And you need to know the difference between the biblical illiterates and those who actually know their stuff. I could go on, but time is, is um, I'm afraid, leaving us. So they come down from the mountain. And you notice in verse 8 it says, Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. Quite honestly, that is the verse for, that's a verse for the year right there. That's a verse for you. That's a verse for me. Suddenly, suddenly, you've got nothing. Nobody's there. Nothing's there. But Jesus is there. He's not leaving you. He's not leaving them. 
And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gives them orders to, tell, to not tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. Why did Jesus do this? Because in God's sovereignty, the timing of how God wants things to take place requires certain delays, certain withholding of information. God doesn't tell us everything that he's doing. And interestingly, they obeyed him. You know, God had said, listen, and they listened. And he talks about the rising from the dead. And then um, it says they kept the matter to themselves and they obeyed, discussing what rising from the dead meant. Now, um, do you think that they were having trouble comprehending resurrection? No, Jews, the, the Jews of the day, they knew everything about resurrection. For goodness sakes, Elijah and Moses were standing there in the mountain. This would have been a big moment for me. Maybe not for you, I don't know. But these guys were dead for several thousand years. This was a pretty uh, epic moment. Dead guys alive. This is resurrection before our very eyes. No, they weren't, they weren't having, a, having trouble understanding resurrection. They were having trouble still comprehending Messiah dying. We're not buying it. So they decide to have a theological argument with Jesus, which is always a mistake. They ask him, uh, why do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, okay, guys, to be sure, Elijah does come first and restores all things. But then he puts, as he regularly did, a question back to them. And it's one of these questions like, did you guys read your Bibles today? It's it's like one of those questions, right? Because he says to them, why then is it written that the Son of Man must suffer much and be rejected. He's, he's referring to many texts in the Old Testament, but not the least there's Psalm 118.22. The stone that the builders have built, the capstone has become, the cornerstone has become the stumbling stone. The rejected of men. Have you not read that, guys? That's about Messiah. Have you not read Isaiah 53, 3? Have you not read about the suffering of Messiah? And then he says, but I tell you, Elijah has come, and they have done to him everything they wish, just as it is written about him. He had told them, Matthew 17 records it, Matthew 17, 13 records it. He had told them that they ought to consider John the Baptist, the Elijah who was to come. Elijah had already stood there. The kingdom was, was, was at hand, had drawn near now. John the Baptist, they did everything they wished with John and, and, uh, and destroyed him. He says, consider him to be Elijah. In other words, guys, there is nothing left to happen except for the suffering of Messiah for your sins. And this wraps it up. You cannot get the crown without the cross, guys. You're not getting the Messiah glory days. Jesus did not inaugurate messianic happy days. He inaugurated the struggle for salvation that runs through the Calvary road. Those who think the glory will be just handed to them because they are religious people 
The Jews of the day were busy customizing the scriptures to fit the message they wanted to hand out, just as things are today. Or good people or the right kind of people are completely mistaken. God has made it abundantly clear in this text. You don't get God without Jesus. Without listening to him. And you don't get salvation without the cross. Yes, Elijah does come first, but in between, there is a suffering Messiah who substituted his life for your life so that you can have salvation through Jesus Christ. And it just so happens that we live in an age that continues to customize scripture to say things it doesn't say. And the message from heaven is still the same. This is my son. I love him. Listen to him. And some of us believe that is still the right thing to do. Our Father and our God, we thank you for this powerful text, this, this visual, this experience. But Lord, we realize that most critically here, we have a presentation of the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior of the world through his death for us and his rising again for us. The living word of God. We are called to listen to him. May we embark upon this year as listeners carefully to the word of God, Jesus, the word of God. And may we demonstrate our listening by obeying, Lord, we are not called to be audience to information. We are called to be those who listen to what Jesus commands us to do and then to do it. I pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Jesus gave three key disciples and us a glimpse of glory. We're, we see it. We see it in the distance. Beloved, uh, we're running the race. We're moving toward the glory line. Let's be careful in 2020. Let's make certain we don't get cocky and careless and think that trouble isn't chasing us, because it is. Our sights are on the line. We hold fast to Christ. Not experiences, not vision. We listen to Jesus. That's how we carry the ball to the line. But don't drop the ball before you get to the line. Carry it right through. Glory waits us. But for now, for a little while, we'll have some trouble. Jesus won't abandon you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Our Father, we thank you and praise you for this tremendous and powerful vision and visual of the glorified Jesus in his heavenly costume, the divine one, the son of God, loved by the Father, who we are commanded to listen to. May this be our 
marching orders for 2020 to listen carefully to Jesus. Not to be discouraged or to give up hope, for we see the glory. It's in the distance. Not to deny our reality, believing that the glory is upon us now, for it isn't. But by faith, to continue to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. I pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.